Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. I've got Rich Possum back on here to talk about what's happening in the world of the overall economy. Basically, going to hit about everything today. Rich uh, threw everything at me, plus the kitchen sink on this one, so I'm excited about what we've got going on. Rich, how you doing, man? Good. Thank you for having me on again. No, it's my pleasure, Rich. Talk a little bit about your podcast you have come, that you do uh, on basically every day. <laughs> yeah, there's a morning brief, usually yeah. uh, one for just the grains and one for uh, primarily the stock market, but I include bonds and some interest rates and gold and a few other things, uh, but try to keep it brief on a morning update. Um, three of them are just uh, audio and two are video. Uh, and then uh, one of those videos can uh, be expanded to more like a 40-minute uh, session. I'm trying to split that up a little bit, keep fundamentals on one and and just the model output and opinion on another, and that way people can pick and choose what they want. But the beauty of the videos is they can see what's going on in the model, uh, how accurate it is relative to that market or the data that I'm trying to uh, forecast. And so that's the gist of it, of what I'm providing. It's based on primarily business cycles, but a variety of other types of analysis. I kind of developed many years ago a clock model that takes and looks at what do we do for a decade and do we do that decade after decade? And the answer is yes. And then I break that into increments of what do we do during the decade, during the year. And that's my primary focus. I'm more of intermediate to long term. 
Anna's, but uh, my model's actually tracking things as fast as every minute. So I yeah. do offer some insight of what's going on during the month, during the week, and maybe even uh, forecast, is it going to be an up day or down day uh, for that specific uh, market? And so I offer that service. I don't print a newsletter. It's just strictly video and uh, audio, but that keeps the cost down and therefore keeps the price very competitive uh, relative to what it does. And I've been using this technique for nearly 40 years now and have had really good success in the stock market um, compared to the stock pickers and other market timers. And so I just keep plugging along with it. And you can find information about myself and the podcast at criticalpointpod.com. That's my site. But there's some links from that site that goes to a host uh, where you'll find the list of the videos and the audios. And you can sign up at either site. But the other site is criticalpoint.podbean.com. And that's bean as in uh, soybeans. And then they can also reach me at uh, at Rich underscore Possum on Twitter or X uh, in terms of pinging me there. Right on. Whatever it's called these days, right, Rich? You're right. It's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows. All right. Sounds good, man. Great podcast, guys. Go to you can you can get the morning briefs and stuff. Just go to wherever you can find podcasts and you can you can download that and listen to it. Um, take a look at, at Rich's uh, uh, service though, his paid service because there's a lot of more information. Like you're just getting the very tip of the iceberg on on the stuff that he puts out in there more so check that out a lot of good information there rich uh looking forward to uh watching that go through 24 because we got a lot of stuff happening in 24 i think that is um probably a little bit different than what i think some people are looking at there's some things that just that are starting to change here a little bit and the i don't know if uncertainty is the right word because i I guess I like your opinion on this. So when I'm talking to people, I get, you know, you typically when you're looking at a year ahead, you kind of have a similar storyline. Everything seems to be uh, kind of point one direction. There's just a few, you know, added characters in there based upon the situation that you're in. But this year I can't really get anybody to give me uh, the same answer when they're looking at 24 as what you're seeing. Some folks are pretty excited about it. Some folks aren't. Some folks are kind of somewhere in the middle, I guess. Looking out there right now, there's a lot of things that are with stock markets and gold and dollar indexes and those kind of things. I guess as you're looking at just your overall synopsis of heading in 24, what's your feel for it? Are you pessimistic, optimistic, somewhere in the middle, a little bit of both? What's your Where are you at right now? I'm optimistic. Okay. Um, and I've been so for quite some time relative to the analysis, say, stock market and economy. But I have been concerned of all the politics and the social problems and you know, Americans are not the best thinking people compared to prior generations right now. And it's not just us. It's actually global. Right. I mean, there's definitely a lot of problems around the world. Mm-hmm. And But I sense, and I'm starting to see some professionals coming out, leaning this way, we might have a chill-out period here in 2024 where we're not so extreme, not so pessimistic, maybe not so optimistic, something like that. And I think uh, this supports my thinking of we're getting back to a normal economy, a normal stock market. So it's supportive of my bullish stance and makes me optimistic, at least on the market side. But here's hopeful uh, that the world calms down a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, it does look like we could get a break at that, even though we may not see Russia, Ukraine resolved this year. And we may even see Israel and, um, and the Gazan area have problems all year long. So... I'm not saying things are going to be 
a wonderful time. We're all going to be dancing out in the park somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's going to yeah. be, there's going to be lingering issues here, but it just, it just feels like we've, we've gone through a lot in the last two years. It looks like maybe things can ease and, and calm us down a little bit. And, uh, I view that as supportive of what I've been saying all along for the economy and the stock market. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm rather optimistic and, uh, and quite bullish on the stock market. Okay. Well, let's jump in a little bit of that gold. Um, has had a an impressive run here over the last since the last Fed meeting. Basically, if you take a look at where, what gold's done over the last two or three weeks, you know it's been quite impressive what it's been able to do. Um, as you take a look at gold, um, you've been somewhat bearish on gold, but looking at things now, you've kind of changed your tune a little bit. What do you see in gold right now? Yeah, in recent weeks, I told subscribers, I said, "Hey, I've been bearish for about two years here." And was very pleased of the lowest price we've seen over the last two years, but thought it should come down one more time to near that price and ideally even lower still. And I started getting signs that I shouldn't anticipate a lower price, but it should still revisit. And then a few weeks ago, I realized that this isn't going to revisit. And what it is, is just a sideways pattern over the last two years that was just holding the market back from going to a record high. And that's the best we bears could get. And so something processed there to swing from a bearish attitude to really rather neutral and now to bullish. And the model is sending a signal. I got my long-term bottom. It just wasn't as low as prices I thought it was going to go to. And that's okay. And I am bullish into 2025 along with uh, actually some big-name people out on Wall Street and the bank industry have suddenly jumped onto that. Now, unlike some of them, and I don't know exactly what they're forecasting, how good of a bull market. I, I think it's going to be quite a struggle most of the time for the bulls. I think the miners will do all they can to produce all the gold they can. And I think they're, I don't think they're going to gamble of um, reducing their hedges. Normally, as soon as they produce gold, they just sell it on paper. So they don't have the risk of it being lower by the time it actually gets in the consumer's hands. And uh, so I think they'll keep their hedging going. So I don't see extreme strong demand for a giant move up in gold. But I do think what's going on is some people who are feeling a bit more comfortable about the world and more bullish the stock market, at the same time, they're looking at all these problems we have, these fires around the world, if you will. And they're just saying, well, if I'm going to be investing so much in the stock market and have this bullish attitude when there's definitely issues out there that could slap aside the head, they're, they're saying, well, why wouldn't I own some gold? Which is kind of a an old-time characteristic uh, thinking of how to use gold. But I like that because it also occurred during some of the better economic times and um, and uh, stock market bull markets. So it's just a hedge for them to protect them and have a shocking surprise. They just feel comfortable having that 5% of their portfolio in gold or other metals. And uh, so to me... Yes, that's bullish. Yes, that's demand over supply. But I question how good of a, a bull market. And I don't think anybody's really going to stampede here, frankly. Now, the central banks, they come and go, and they've actually been doing more buying here in the last couple of years. That's probably what made it difficult for my bear forecast to put as low as it did. It was like, uh, even though the price would start down, it's, they would step in and, and buy that dip and then provide the support. I don't have a clue whether central banks will continue to buy or not. Uh, in other words, will they buy in their way up now 
uh, as we start punching out record highs. Well, they continue to do that a few times during the year, that kind of thing. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, yeah, I'm long-term bullish gold, but I'm not uh, not as bullish as a lot of people. <laughs> right on. Right on. All right, so let's take a look at the dollar index. Those two things correlate with each other. When the price of gold starts going up, the dollar index is usually going down. So I guess as you're looking at the dollar index right now, what are some of your thoughts there? Okay, on the dollar index, I want to be a bit friendly. The dollar, I think, it should move a little bit higher into summer or so, and then we'll see it ease back. Uh, by fall, I believe. And what I'm watching is 99.58 in the dollar index. If it trades below that during the first half of 2024 or even the remainder of this year, I'd be a bit concerned. It'll be lower and it's just going to have a tough time rallying in the summer. But otherwise, I think it can move up. But almost like the gold market, I don't see an explosive move in the dollar. It's already had a very nice run up. I, I think it's kind of range trade. And I wouldn't be surprised now in the next few years, we'll just see the dollar index bounce around between 90 to uh, 115. And uh, that's a wide range. I realize some people will still make a big deal out of fluctuation with that and be nervous or very optimistic on those fluctuations. But to me, until it goes to that boundary of the range, I don't think the dollar means a lot towards commodities and uh, the, the stock market and economy, frankly. Uh, so I think it's turning into a short-term type traders. I don't see really a long-term play in the dollar right now. Okay. So now the stock market is another thing that's been kind of back and forth here all over the place, and not just the United States. You take a look at the banking indexes, international stock markets, especially like China, for example. Their stock market's in a free fall. They're, they're pumping as much uh, capital into there as they can. Uh, very similar to what we saw over here in 2008, but on a grand, way grander scale than what than what we ran into. So I guess as you're looking at stock markets in general, like international global stock markets, what are your thoughts there? And is a lot of this turmoil that we see right now around the world fueling this uh, volatility that we're seeing in, in the in the global stock markets? Yeah, it's uh, people have bet on the downside way too much and they, they've been burned at times more so in the U.S. Uh, recently if somebody lost uh, like a billion dollars betting on the downside here in late October. And that even gave me a little bit of a problem because I said, gee, it's just too late to be going down. What's what's going on here? Is somebody breaking the system and why? And then it just turned on a dime and exploded as they, as they basically woke up. They were on the wrong side of it, and the bulls were just waiting to pounce on any kind of a sign of strength. And so hopefully some of the downside volatility has been reduced here. Um And I think really what's going on is we're going to settle into that idea of getting back to a normal economy. I think uh, Europe had uh, obviously an inflationary impact off the energy side relative to the Russia-Ukraine war. And Europe's done a fine job of getting their own personal supplies and inventories uh, in line to protect themselves. And it just feels like Europe, the stock market's already had a nice run-up. It actually ran up faster than the U.S. here uh, like six months to 12 months ago. Now probably the U.S. will be the later, probably be the, the better performer. But it looks like there's a reason to be optimistic on some of the European uh, stocks. I like the German DAX, the French CAC, um, and then uh, Italy has uh, done some very interesting things of expanding the types of products that they uh, can export. And it's, it's helped their economy and it's helping their stock market, even though they also have debt issues. But, hey, it seems like everybody, everybody has debt, debt issues. issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, 
And that's uh, something interesting on the dollar index. I keep hearing people saying, you know, the dollar index is going to crash someday because of our debt. But the interesting thing is because the whole world is a high-level debt, you see these currencies, they really can't break out and cause that kind of a crash. Uh, Everybody's in the same boat. And if you didn't know that and just look at the dollar index, you'd say, wow, our country's doing quite well with all this debt issue that uh, doesn't lower our dollar. Well, it's just because everybody else has got debt mm-hmm. issues, so nobody can really lower right. things. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a fascinating uh, structure right now. And I will point out, you and I had conversations months ago on on the dollar and its popularity. Would it ever go away? We're an old enough country that we do have to consider that several decades out, maybe into the next century, that will be less popular. But right this year, the dollar will be, was more popular than last year. The world is using our dollar. And so they still think, even with our debt issues and all our political problems and this and that, we're still probably the more solid economy in the world. And uh, they want that currency to help them trade their commodities, goods, and services uh, around the world. Uh, so that's a positive there. But to get back to the stock market, um, Brazil is kind of fascinating on the stock market. I may have a little bit of upside potential, but uh, we'll see. Uh, and then um, Asia's company, or countries look good. I like South Korea, like Japan. I think there's more upside in Japan. We do. There are some things with their yen and their interest rates where they might finally be raising interest rates uh, more aggressively than what they've done in 30 years. Um, maybe that could be a negative factor there, but I don't think it's going to spill into causing problems for the U.S. It would just be an issue for Japan. But right at the moment, I have to be optimistic. Uh, Japan, I think they're, I think they're doing better there business-wise and investment-wise. China is really the weak link in, in Asia relative to the global and, and U.S. markets. Uh, it's still in a bear market. It's trying to turn up. I think it will do better in 2024, but I'm not that optimistic. I think they got lingering issues for some time there. Uh, their real estate blowout is just going to be causing some issues for quite some time. And, and they're probably getting over the whole COVID thing to hurt their economy longer than other countries. Right. But it's just, it's just going to take time. And and I think they're I think they're okay. I don't I don't see. I know there's people predicting there's going to be a financial blowout there. And 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 I will say China's business cycles. It's fascinating. It's the same type of business cycle as U.S., but it does it at different times. Okay, it's uh, if you're looking at a calendar or whatever, you could just see. Okay, the business cycle was bullish for the U.S., but a few years later, U.S. backed off. But the interesting thing is, China did better. So that's something I need to research more during the remaining of this decade. What is the timing of China? Because it implies at the moment if China had a serious issue, there's a good chance it doesn't bother the U.S. that much. It won't be a contagion. But if we ever got the two to align on those business cycles and things start turning down, now I get nervous. Um, some other country may even hurt us instead of we hurting someone else in that kind of scenario. Right. But um but yeah, I don't see uh, you know I don't see a reason to run out there and buy Chinese stocks right now. Okay, so when you're looking at let's talk about real estate for a little bit here. So real estate is uh is the one thing that I think is starting to sh- it's finally shown full blown what the effects of the interest rates have done to real estate. Um, it's you know housing costs have come down um, month over month for the last three or four months now. You've watched this kind of trip along as it went through. Um, as a guy that, that plays in the real estate market, um, Rich, I mean, in your area, I mean, let's talk about as a whole, what you're seeing happen in the real estate market and, and some of these adverse effects you're seeing when you talk about the real estate that you're working with. Yeah. 
I've been feeling rather bearish in real estate for this year on into next, and I'm finally seeing local evidence. Uh, uh, the brokers are definitely working less. Uh, they're busy. Uh, they'll tell you they're busy, but I don't think they're getting the sales done. So they're probably concerned how much do they spend to be busy? You know, is it worth it? Uh, maybe the business just not there. It's not a crisis by no means. It's just a normal fluctuation uh, within real estate business. It's not a 2000s mm-hmm. when we were so far leveraged that it just created a horrendous blowout. So uh, we're actually safe there. That is just real estate. It's time for real estate to slow down when other sectors of the economy are actually going to do better. Uh, speed to the upside. Um, well, price-wise, uh, locally still, nobody really wants to lower the price, even though the demand's not there. So that may take a while to bring it down. But for, uh, from what I understand, at national level, some of these indexes are showing uh, declines, maybe as much as 18% in, in home prices nationally. I wouldn't say I'm actually seeing that uh, locally here. Um, it's really more of the volume of business nationally has come down quite a bit. Existing home sales, somebody said it's you know, as bad as it was just, or I shouldn't say bad. It returned to before uh, the 2008-2009 blowout, uh, which is uh, you know fairly low level. I mean, we basically wept, wiped out all the great business that we saw in the last two years here. Uh, but you could argue that's back to maybe a supporting trend line normal, you know, uh, that we did go too far and push it too far. And eventually those higher interest rates made homes twice what it was should cost them when they looked at their payments and they finally decided, I, I guess I can't buy it this year. So my forecast is working and I think real estate should back off into 2025. It may, depending how fast it drops, it may bottom 2024. We'll keep an eye on it, but I think it should back off into 2025. Now, uh, there is an investment product for people who like to invest in real estate, but they don't want to buy the actual real estate, and they're called REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust. And there's people that actually broker sell these, and some of them are even available in the, in the stock market as various funds. And there's one I follow from Standard & Poor's. Um, I think it, the symbol's FRI is in Friday or something like that. And that's been down for nearly two years, but it's starting to turn up now. And I, that one has been hurt primarily because of the rental side of business and inside of that, more of the office that took a hit from COVID. Mm-hmm. And some of that business is not right. coming back. Right. Uh, it's done forever for some of those office buildings. There's others that are getting back where, where companies are forcing their employees to return and they're using some extra office space there. And I, I think everybody accepts that, but it, it feels as though the investors saying, I think we can deal with that now. There's other types of properties that are making money. And, uh, and within those rates, sometimes they buy and sell and swap real estate, but it's generally more of an income uh, product, I think. Uh, so I'm kind of optimistic the index can actually do a little better here and be in line with the stock market and economy next year. And I think I've detected a business cycle suggesting that. But I don't know if it's going to go great guns. I think there's still more money to be made in the stock, overall stock market, frankly. And that's not giving us a sign I'm going to be wrong on real estate backing off. I think the REITs can improve, whereas housing, land, and those kind of things continue to soften a bit going into 2025. Right. <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit about inflation. So inflation has gone and gone uh, back and forth. We're seeing signs that inflation has come down. We've seen a lot of different um, indicators that show that. As you're looking at commodities, though, and how an inflationary commodity market is seems to be looming on the horizon here, I guess, what are your thoughts there on 
on the overall inflation that we're seeing right now and then how that relates back to commodities? Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at the inflation by visiting stores and then some of the private uh, financial firms putting inflation, it's it's really coming down at a fast pace. Some call it crashing. When I visit local stores, uh, my grocery store, most of the products, not all, but most of the products I'm buying cheaper than before the inflation run up. So it's wiped out the inflation. Uh, so that's got a negative inflation rate, actually. And I'm still building a home and I'm buying products and uh, I can get volume discounts uh, easily of 9% and maybe even as I've said some up to as much as 20%, just depends how much you're buying. I was at the contractor's or professional desk um, the other day here and overheard a manager telling someone on the phone, well, you're buying $70,000 and we're going to give you 40% uh-huh. off, but you got to book yeah. it now. So, uh, so there's some interesting savings there. Um, but at the same time, you look at the overall inflation for, for everything in the basket, things are still creeping higher. They're just not creeping as fast as they once were. And that's all the Fed wants to do is get it down towards that 2% and they'll say good enough. They don't mind things continue to go higher on average, but they, they want that 2%. And, um, that may be a struggle yet, <clears throat> even though I think inflation's going lower in 2025. We may get the best decline over soon, and then it's then it's a real struggle of uh, how low we'll actually uh, get it here in the next year or two. And we may see a brief blip up in inflation due to maybe a few commodities, like the grains can certainly have a crop problem next year by my research and research of others. Um, but I think it's only going to be a brief tick up. I don't think it's going to spread throughout all of the commodities. If, if the Fed Reserve sees all the commodities going up, they're going to get nervous. That's old-fashioned standard inflation because there's too much money in the system still. And then they're going to raise rates and they're going to try to pull money out of the out of the system. I think the Fed is getting an attitude now. Don't raise rates, but they'll probably continue to try to pull money out of the system for a little while. And they're probably going to hold off a bit here before they lower uh, interest rates. They want a little more proof they've got this inflation where, where they're comfortable with it. And what might make them comfortable if uh, tomorrow's inflation report, I think we finished at 3.2 last month. If we can get it below three, so they have have that two number in front of it, uh, I think they're going to be feeling far more comfortable than what they were 30 days and definitely 180 yeah. days ago. Uh, the trend's definitely down. It's been a very nice uh, decline in inflation. It's really practically turned uh, lower overnight yep. here. And uh, so... And I think there's more to come. It's just I'm not one of these optimists saying, well, we're going to be back to 2%, 1%, nothing flat here, and it's going to stay there for many years. And I will be watchful towards the end of this decade for another jump in inflation, but I don't think it's going to be drastic. I don't think it's going to be picture perfect like the 1970s, but I do think we'll get a bit of a bounce just as we go into peak economy mm-hmm. for the decade and just ahead of a recession is probably going to occur at right. the end of the decade. Uh, so overall, uh, yeah, my modeling is giving inflation a green light to be helpful and supportive here uh, for the stock market and lower interest rates. And uh, and I, I can see interest rates backing off into 2025 as well. Uh, actually own bonds for the first time quite a while. So when you buy a bond, it means you're making a bet on the downside of interest rates. And I'm feeling that confident about it. Um, but I'm still more of a stock person than <laughs> in investing right. than anything else. Yep. So, you know, you're talking about the price of stuff come down at the lumber yard and you start looking at what's going on there. I mean, the price of lumber at the height of COVID, I want to, I'm just going off of memory here, but I want to say it was like 1400 bucks, 1600 bucks. Um, 
per hundred linear feet. And right now today it's trading at five, five thirty right now. So, I mean, so you're looking at something that's about a third yeah. of the price of what it was, which this kind of falls back in the line of what it was pre COVID. So, I mean, you're kind of back into that, into that normal price to your point where yeah. you're saying that things are really coming back down to that, <clears throat> to that level. The, the thing about that, I think that people, when they, when they look at these kind of things and they're, and they're looking at them and they're not, you know, traders and those kind of things. And they're thinking about, well, if the price of lumber is five thirty, why am I still paying three dollars for a two by four? And well, the problem <laughs> is they, you know, they've got a six month contract or eight month contract or a year long contract or something like that. They bought that stuff a year ago, and it's just now making its way through. I guess as you're looking at that stuff from a contractual basis, uh, uh, Rich, when do you think that we'll see that full back to normal pricing that we're starting to see is kind of start correlating with what we see uh, stuff being traded for now? It may take as long as 2025 to get people where, and, and I, I better make sure people understand when the rate of inflation is coming down to 2%, that's supposed to be the magical number. That's what we've averaged for a few hundred years. And that's what the Federal Reserve wants. What that's telling you is price of practically everything's going up 2% still. So it's very difficult to actually see minus. You see the individual products and more so in the commodities where it can actually be minus and down like 10% compared to the prior year and things like that. But when you look at the entire economy and all the consumers and everything they're buying, seldom do you ever see it minus. In fact, if it's minus, you probably got a recession and you're probably not happy about it. Uh, so it's a two-edged sword. You might be saying, oh, I'm buying things cheaper. And then you realize, yeah, but I might be losing my job here and my business right. is going down. So the history of inflation is that things have always gone up. And all we're trying to do is slow it down and get it back to average and normal here. And my uh, years ago, I did research for some commercial commodity companies and we were looking at government data, what's going on in the store versus the commodities they were buying from farmers, miners, running it through the process, selling it to the consumer. And it looked as though if, uh, let's say, the local price was coming down fast, it took about six months to actually show up in the store. And so this is why we are seeing some things in the stores down, but there's still some things that are going up, but not as fast. And I, I think this is going to take a while yet to work it where people say, you know, everything's basically down, but you'll probably see them also say, but it still feels like I'm paying more than a while ago. In other words, I don't think we're going to get everything down oh, to where it was before course, the yeah. inflation. Yeah. That's but just, you know, the history of the country is things have always gone up. They, oh, things have always yeah. become more expensive. So the best we can hope for is to get some of yeah. that back. And uh, there's going to be some very interesting economic discoveries here in economics um, the rest of this decade. There's some fascinating people, young people that are coming on board here, rethinking how things work economic-wise. And, boy, they're showing some evidence. These companies really socked it to us of making extra profits out of that inflation thing, therefore making inflation worse. And it's going to become a big discussion. Do we really want the Fed Reserve raising interest rates to help uh, turn that around? Because really all we're doing is shooting the middle class and yep. poor in the foot. Um, so there's going to be discussions. How can we control inflation if we can detect companies are making too much money out of the inflation and they're making inflation worse. That's going to be a new topic. I mean, it's, I shouldn't call it new. It's, it's come and gone throughout my lifetime and I'm sure prior generations, but I think, I think 
this yeah. is going to be fascinating next few years. What what they're going yeah, to discover? It will be interesting. And and and, and, and I'm, all, all, I'm all in favor of saying, telling the Fed, please don't raise interest rates ever again just because of yeah. inflation. Uh, we got to find yeah. a better tool. So and that's uh, that's where yeah. we're heading with this. And that's I think. Uh, I think you made some good points there when you're looking at the kind of direction of where where the mindset's changing because. I'm not a trained economist, and I can look in, at what these guys were were doing during during the uh, during the COVID time when there was the scarcity premium that got added onto everything. It felt like I mean it was, um, you know, just look at equipment. I mean, equipment's went up forty percent ish, something like that. Between depending on what what it was, forty to fifty percent in three years. I mean, that's and it's it's not yeah. that's not uncommon. Yeah. It's happened before, but we're talking forty or fifty percent on. Two, three, four hundred thousand dollars stuff. Now we're looking at stuff that's, you know, five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars stuff now because of that. Um, and they can argue, hey, we didn't, you know, we had to do this because of what our suppliers were doing to us and so on and so forth, which I get all that. But at the end of the day, if uh, prices were to come back down, uh, we'd still be paying 10 cents for a loaf of bread and we're not, we're not doing that. So, you know what I mean? So it's, it's things like yep. that show you that, you know, prices go up, they're going to stay up. And it's just now we're kind of levelized that, that new normal and 2%, 3% inflation yeah. is going to come into play and things go from there. So, so it's yep. going to be a 20, good thing. But me and you are in the same camp at 24. I don't feel like it's going to be a devastating blow to anything. I think it's going to be a different feel than what we felt over the last three years for sure. Um, but I, I'm, I'm with you. I feel that 24 is going to be, very optimistic and things are going to normalize. There might be some pain in 24 that in certain industries, um, just because of normalizing economies. But for the most part, I feel good about 24 as a whole. So looking forward to watching the end of that plays out. So, Rich, one more time where folks can find your podcast. Uh, critical point pod.com. That's my main website. And they can also go to critical and again, ping me at rich underscore Pawson. If you don't want to use the Twitter thing, uh, my email is rich at ag-financial.com. Reach out to Rich. He's got tons of information, and he's a wealth of, wealth of knowledge, and uh, he actually bets his own money on the stuff he's talking about. So, Rich, looking forward to next month when you come back on. Right All right, on, thank you very much. In case you see more with Moving Iron Podcast, check me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. Go to Snapchat, Moving Iron Podcast, TikTok, Moving Iron Podcast, and check out the video version of this over on the YouTube channel, which is, shockingly enough, the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to there. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. Should have a new website up here, hopefully knock on wood here by the first of the year, um, and get that all squared away. And then uh, over the next couple of weeks, going to have some big announcements coming out about what's going on with uh, Moving Iron LLC. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Rich Pawson. Let's go some iron, folks. Out. When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America 
dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century.